Hello, and welcome once again to This Week in the Ancient Near East, a podcast that takes archaeology exactly as seriously as it deserves. I'm Alex Jaffe, director of the Bob and Ray Institute of Archaeology at the University of Southern North Dakota at Hoople. With me, once again, are two academics from real institutions, Professor J.P. Dessel of the University of Tennessee and Professor Rachel Hallett of the State University of New York at Purchase. We're coming to you from the Vidal Sassoon Institute for the Study of Hair and Hair Care Products here on the beautiful Hoople campus. Today we're talking about the discovery of a tiny lice comb at the site of Lachish in an Iron Age pit. What makes this lice comb extra special, however, is that it's made of ivory, none of those cheap bone imitations, and oh yes, it contains an inscription that dates to a thousand years earlier. In fact, this appears to be the first complete alphabetic inscription, dating to around 1700 BCE, which talks about lice. But is this an old object with an old inscription or something else? And why were mundane objects for unpleasant daily tasks made with exotic materials and written dedications? Is this a prestige item? And what does prestige really mean when you're actually just prying bugs out of your beard? And what about writing and literacy? Was that just the job for very, very nearsighted people? All right. So before we use all the good material, <laughs> let's let's get the ball let's get the ball rolling here. Um, here's a lightning round. Okay. It came, it came to me as if in a dream. Um, Favorite plague. <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, in, any inscribed family heirlooms in your possession? <laughs> inscribed ones? Inscribed ones. I can't think of any inscribed ones. I'll, I'll start. It's almost apropos. Someplace I have um, a shaving brush <laughs> that was issued to my father when he um, went into the Navy in 1944 or thereabouts. And it, and he scratched his name on it. And in fact, when I was a young man, <laughs> I used to shave with those, you know, single edged blades. I would use it. I used it for oh. many years. Um, so that would have been a good 40 years after its um, heyday. And <laughs> I kept it because, and I still have it because I'm sort of very obviously sentimental about it. Right. Well, I don't have anything like that, but I do have a, somewhere uh, my first trowel, my Marshalltown. I inscribed my initials into it, I suspect, as we all did. So mm -hmm. that's hanging around somewhere, but I'm not sure it's going to become a family heirloom per se. But so. no hair care products. No, no. Oh, you didn't say hair care products in particular, did you? Oh, yeah, I guess I probably I could have specified. Oh, that. I actually do have a hair care product. Oh, really? Yeah, I have. I don't think I still have it, but... I had a, you know, a baby brush with my initials on the back of it, you know, like a big square to brush right. your hair, a very soft for the, you know, soft baby's head. Oh, that's good. I have, and I have a memory of it. I have no idea if it still exists. I was not sentimental about that. <laughs> and now it would have very little use. <laughs> you 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 did have the hair back in the day, though. Well, I did have the hair back in the day. And it's interesting because in one of the articles about today's topic, they mention that one of the scholars who sort of works on this has long hair hmm. and how he stands out at conferences. And it's <laughs> like, geez, I did that 40 years ago. And you know, the <laughs> Times never mentioned that. <laughs> right. I mean, geez, is that what it takes? Right. <laughs> right. And. Remember what our beards looked like 40 years ago. <laughs> yeah, really. <laughs> you know, this was proto-jihad beard. Right. It was, uh, <laughs> we, were, we were like roadies for, yeah, for <laughs> blood, sweat, and tears or something. 
Oh my gosh. Yeah. Yeah. I really never thought this through about archaeologists and hair, but apparently there's a theme going on here. I guess. But that leads us conveniently and in an, in an unusually short short manner to our topic du jour, which is this lice comb found at, at La Riche. And good work, guys, at La Riche. <laughs> Yeah, the comb was uh, basically the inscription was found almost as long after it was initially <laughs> discovered as the as the initial comb was deposited at Lafitte. That's right. But what makes this comb different from all other combs? Well, does someone want to give the, the background? I'll, I'll do it. So, so this ivory comb was found in, I believe, 2016 in the excavations at La Riche. And it was found in a pit, an Iron Age pit, but it was then put away, or I guess studied and then put away. And only recently when people were examining it for lice, which they did find evidence of, um, did they also notice this very um, shallow inscription, which was so shallow apparently and small that they'd missed it before. And the inscription dates to a thousand years well, prior to it's the- It's a very deep home. inscription in some respects. Very deep inscription. Well, the message I'm talking about. The message. Right. right. So the, the so in other words, the the comb is um, from approximately 1700 BC, but it was found in a context from a thousand years later than that. That's right, and it's ivory. And it's, it's ivory. It's not one of those crappy bone imitations. That That's right. That's right. It's from a on a street corner somewhere. And it's a lice comb because it has these little teeny tiny, what are they called? Well, teeth? It's, it's a lice comb because they found lice. Well, that right. too. But and they found an inscription. Right. If they had, right, on the inscription, right. <laughs> if they hadn't found all that, it wouldn't necessarily, would, would we have said it was a lice comb? We might right. have. Right. Now, that was something important to note that we wouldn't have known whether this is specifically a lice comb or not, which leads to all sorts of questions. Oh, I, I think you would have. Just from well, the fineness. Exactly. And that's, but that would have been based on, you know, comparanda from up and up through the, up through. Right. Right. But shall we read? May this tusk root out the lice of the hair and beard. Yes. And I pretty much says all, all that needs to be said. That's true. So thank you, everyone. Have a good night. Um, <laughs> As, as a non-epigrapher, I spent a ridiculous amount of time going through the epigraphic section of the of the wow. scholarly publication, just because yeah. I was curious. Um, it's really hard. I'm really glad I'm an archaeologist, not an epigrapher. They make all that stuff up. It's the tale of the lamid waving the, yeah. <laughs> waving the head once again. Right. But, <clears throat> I'm surprised they didn't say any of the letters actually look like a lice, and therefore... You know, this origin of the of the of the uh now disappeared Canaanite sin. Right. <laughs> but if this is really the 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 earliest complete sentence in a Canaanite dialect, wow. Right. Well, one of our listeners, and he's not really a listener, but he knows about what we do. Surprised <laughs> to learn that the first Canaanite sentence wasn't, wow, I just invented Canaanite. <laughs> that'd be good uh, but it, but it, that's not how it turned out <laughs> that's not how it turned out it's more a case of this i really hope this works because these things are <laughs> really driving me lice up. man yeah yeah any good lice stores i have none any good lice what stories oh, stories <laughs> mr hygienic doesn't have a story over there i don't have any lice stories not even with all those years of long hair. Nope. Nope. I don't either. I actually no, I did have lice after one of my kids got lice, of course. So um, oh man. There <laughs> right. So after one of my kids with that with that little <laughs> after one of my kids, you know, and, and it happens it it happens, happens to all very of us. little. So we got the shampoo. And you know, if you if you deal with lice, it's like, oh my god, I'm covered with these things. Um, so I made kind of a, I made the decision that I was not going to get the lice, so I shampooed 
myself all over <laughs> with the lice. Again and again. Which was a huge, huge mistake. And listener, if you're out there, don't don't shampoo yourself all over with the lice because um, basically it's like a chemical weapon. And for a good 24 hours, I was kind of on my on my back. Were you, um, oh, you weren't tingling? Tingling? No, I, I tingle <laughs> when I use head and shoulders. <laughs> when you use like mustard gas on your on your chest hair, that's that's beyond right. tingling. <laughs> Okay, I think um, we need to, to move on. And yeah, I do think we... Okay. <laughs> I know, that's just my life story. That's a very good life story. Um, yeah, well, it's one thing I was thinking about is, so when our kids were young, um, it was not uncommon to have lice in, in schools. Um, when I was a kid, it was pretty uncommon, or at least it was kept under the rug and swept under the rug, and and you you know it was it was the exception. Um, That's where you find lice under the rug. Under the rug, right? But uh, but lice in society is it okay? Is it just kind of everybody has lice and that's fine? Which clearly it was in antiquity. Or does it show you know? Oh my gosh, this this household they have lice in it. They're they're not clean. Um, clearly it was well, the. Well, I think there's some presentism yeah. at work there. I think I in antiquity, um, I mean, the it, we we know in antiquity, scientifically, archaeologically, that there's lice all over the damn place, and there are examples going back to the Neolithic on in various contexts, and so there. Are, I, I don't think that the I don't think that there's a, the same kind of stigma. I right, think that was the similar word discomfort. Right. But the stigma but, today I mean, is also a false stigma because it crosses all possible social cultural lines everyone very true very right. true so, yeah you, but you so you all didn't um as kids you know um if if you heard about somebody having lice there was no stigma attached never heard about that oh interesting oh no, no familiarity with lice oh it, it was in the same category as peanut allergies which are just very rare. It, no. no, it just didn't. It, a slightly different category. But yeah, well, yeah. Um, it's the same, but but it you I just mean, didn't hear about it. No, nobody was going into into anaphylactic shock over it. Right. <laughs> uh, but but I think I think what I was what I was heading towards is not only was it not a stigma, but you're inscribing your lovely ivory combs to explain that. You know, and and was this originally a gift? Do we think you know? <laughs> there was no there was no gift box that was found with it. Or... No, that's true. But you know, after a thousand years, maybe you'd finally throw away the gift. <laughs> a box little on. bone tag that said "to and from." Right, <laughs> right. right. <laughs> or right, just, well, give, honey, you that. really need this. Let's of. give a that's, little that's... more con context. Yeah. So this comb, firstly, was um, examined. Firstly, it was found. <laughs> yes then it was put away then it was put away then uh, uh, a researcher decided to examine it to see if there were any lice on the the, the yeah. teeth and not only did they find the lice but um, they thought they saw some engraving and sent it sent an image and ultimately the comb itself to a uh, paleographer who said yes there's definitely an inscription um, it's found in a seventh century context, but the paleography points to a middle or late Bronze Age writing style. And the so far it's being dated to roughly 1700 BCE. So there's a lot of questions about this that that get opened up. Um, and so one of the one of the news items pointed out three possible scenarios. One of the scholars, right? It, it could be a survival of an older script on a new item right. it could be a revival of a new of an older script on a new yeah. item or it could just be an old object that stuck around for a thousand years right, right. something that was curated and right. we know about this whole curation process um we all have we all know about artifacts that um were produced hundreds up to a thousand years uh i published a figurine that, that has been that i uh, initially dated to the Iron Age because that was the context and that was uh, re recently reconsidered to be a calcolithic uh, figurine. Uh, by that much. By that much. Though I think that, you know, right. there's problems with that also um, okay. because a lot of these methods of dating are based on paleography or based on style mm -hmm. and not based on C14. So in this case, they sent out... Um, 
the, I guess, a small piece of the comb for uh, C14 dating, and they couldn't get a good date. So we're relying on stylistic elements to date this. And I think that we can all imagine that there will be lots and lots of articles generated um, redating, dating to the 17th, uh, dating to the 1700 BCE, dating later than that, dating all sorts of places. So um, that's one element. Another element is, wow, they're writing, you know, they're dedicating combs made out of elephant tusk, right? That's something else we need to talk about. Right. Some kind of prestige item. The elephants again. Yeah, yeah, exactly. To a very, very sort of mundane um, kind of uh, everyday experience. Right. So does that suggest that there's a lot more literacy or a lot more inscriptions or something along those lines in the Middle Bronze or Late Bronze Age in, in the Southern Levant in Canaan? Um, based on just this one small inscription, there's a lot to talk about. There absolutely is. Um, it's sort of hard to know where to begin, but you mentioned that it's a prestige item, which it is. And that's another thing that, that I don't know, without the inscription, yes, I know it's fine tooth, but um, I would not think that something uh, that a luxury item would be made necessarily for removing lice. I would think, oh, it's a pretty hair comb that I'm going to use in my daily, in my daily um, combing of my hair um, as a luxury item. But a lice remover as a luxury item is interesting. Well, of course that, and you know, we always talk a little bit about presentism. We're making the assumption that it's a prestige item because it's made in elephant tusk. Yeah. Up until, you know, I don't know, the 1970s, 1980s, um, toothpicks in, in Swiss army knives were made out of ivory. Mm, mm. Um, so, you know, maybe it wasn't a, maybe a lot of people had these and maybe a lot of people would go over to the local scribe and throw down a few shekels and get an inscription on it. I mean, this maybe, but with, with ivory don't, and, and didn't we do a podcast that involved some ivory, something or other recently, um, Maybe, maybe not, yeah. but, 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 uh, <laughs> but uh, it's like but, last but, week. <laughs> but ivory is definitely a luxury item. You think of, you know, Ahab's ivory palace and other mentions of ivory in, in the furniture inlays. Furniture right. Inlays, but right. again, that's based on one selective side of presentation, uh, now preservation. We new, now we have a new, now we have something new. And I think we need to reconsider if they're, okay. you know, if they're ivory uh, combs, um, maybe it was not quite the degree of prestige that we associate it with. Okay. Well, I think I in general, the, I'm just, I'm just suggesting that. Right. Um, I, I just think the whole idea of prestige items has to be kind of rethought because there's, you know, there's prestige and then there's prestige. Right. And okay. You have a, you have a little ivory comb and that's, that's very nice. And you know, you know nothing about it. And certainly from the context, it's found in a pit, which right. is in a, yeah. in a place. It's not in an architectural context right. that suggests any kind of fancy elite well, usage. Slow down a little though. No, because you're right, but it is in a public area near palaces and things like this. Yeah. At Lachish, everything is near a palace. Okay. <laughs> True. But you know, you're, you're throwing away stuff from a fancy area. Well, you're throwing away stuff in a fancy area or close yeah. to a fancy yeah. area. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It is not it is not necessarily of the fancy area. And we don't Fair know enough. that they were throwing it away. Someone might have swept up and thrown everything in that pit and they didn't even realize, you know, someone had I mean Right. There's a lot of assumptions based in all of this. But let's get back to the three possible uh, okay. uh reasons why it uh what it might represent and and which what do you think? Do you think that it's the revival? Do you think that it's um that there's some continuity in this script, or do you think it's a um a curated object? Oh, I think it's probably a curated object. Yeah, me too. Uh I I, I don't I don't see I mean there's lots of and and particularly in this in this period in you know, the seventh, sixth centuries, there, there's a whole wave of archaizing that goes on <clears throat> throughout the, the Near East and in, and in Egypt, where people are <laughs> dressing up in vintage clothes, for example. 
and writing their names in vintage sorts of ways and posing in vintage postures. No, literally. (laughs) But I think the... I think the idea that you like walk into a shop somewhere and say, I'm getting this for my husband, write the inscription in a thousand year old script um, would, would not be as, you know, it'd be touching, but it really wouldn't get a, a message across in a society where, yeah, it's, it's literate, but it's, it, it's not monumental. Yeah. 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 It's, it would be a touching, touching gesture, but I, I don't think that it would resonate. And I'm not sure that anybody could really read it all that well, as opposed to the literacy that we know existed during this period when lots of people could read in the official um, Judean kind of Hebrew script Hebrew and, and Hebrew language. And Particularly since lots. this has extra letters that nobody, nobody, yeah, nobody knew about it. anymore. Right. And when we say lots of people could read, we mean a okay. very, very, very small number of people right. could read, but a slightly larger number than could read, you know, a century before. Right. A, more than zero, but right. less than everybody. Right. But less than but less than five percent by a large margin. So what do you think, JP? Do you think it's a heirloom? Well, I think or... it's totally curated. Okay. Yeah, I think it's a curated yeah. object. Yeah, I, I think that's I the best. Yeah. yeah. We all agree. Um, but it also made me wonder, okay, how many how many um, curated object curated items and also inscriptions in ink and and <laughs> oh. li- lightly engraved have right. we if a thrown out because through inattention right. and b scrubbed out? <laughs> oh, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. That's and, exactly what I thought. Right, and you couldn't see this until you look under a microscope because you're looking for lice. Then you're not gonna. Yeah, we've we've missed a lot. Yeah, uh, and uh, so our our picture, it, it, the the literacy rate may have been as high as I don't know six <laughs> percent. Right. Well, that's the thing. I think we've missed a lot, but I still doesn't. I still don't think it change our, changes yeah. our relative understanding of the society. Yeah, yeah. I think. Oh, and I also just want to say straight out because yeah. this always sort of. You know, every time an inscription is found in the Southern Levant, one of the first things that gets inscribed is, oh, literacy is much more common. Mm. And it's like, well, yeah, you're still going to have to find, you know, 10,000 more inscriptions before it gets to the level of commonness that you're kind of. (coughs) And literacy is nothing like it is in, you know, these adjacent literate societies right. like Mesopotamia or Egypt or the Hittite kingdom or or any of these kinds of places, Ugarit. So it's still well, very, very, very uh, un- uncommon, I think. Right. Well, well, I mean, there there's a lot to unpack there, which I'm not sure we should, because, you know, the whole issue of not finding writing and yet you have late Bronze Age Amarna letters from Canaan. And, you know, so they that's the northern Levant. Hold it. No, no, oh, no. Oh, oh, I'm sorry. Yeah, no, yeah, right. That, those are being written by scribe, but those are being written by <laughs> Well, I, I, I think mean, that the I think that the, in Gaza. I, I think the idea of literacy as a popular phenomenon has to be separated from inscriptions, because um, certainly a thousand years later, nobody could really read this inscription very well because right. there's not much to see in the first place. And even when the thing was brand spanking new, it probably wasn't that visible to begin with. And people weren't <laughs> reading it. How but, much to get this written? I can't even see the inscription. <laughs> well, exactly. I, I think a lot of these kinds of inscriptions were probably talismanic. Like, mm-hmm. ooh, <laughs> it's, it's, inscri- it's inscribed with that new mystery method for recording and transmitting information that we don't have. Bob, you're really cool. <laughs> Good job <laughs> with this. But, uh, but I think it's, it simply points to the idea that lots of different kinds of things were inscribed. And it brings us also to, the, to this weird phenomenon that at Lachish, you have more Middle mm-hmm. Bronze and Late Bronze inscriptions in various alphabetic kinds of forms than any place else, than every place else put together in the Southern Levant. And when you say more, you mean 12. <laughs> I thought the number was 17 altogether. 
I think it's the number of letters, there were 17 letters in the inscription. Yeah. <laughs> I'll, I'll give you 17. <laughs> yeah, you can pass Some sort of gematria. Where, where it we? still is ridiculously tiny. And to yeah. talk about, you know, well, literacy as a popular phenomenon. A real... I mean, should we talk about Lachish as a, as I don't know why there are so many inscriptions from it? It was a, just a particularly. Well, that's an interesting question. Why so, why so many? So many being 12, fine. <laughs> right. There, as opposed to every place else where it's like the the number ranges between one and zero. Right. Well, right. I think I think part of that, and actually I was thinking of this before. Um I think part of it is that Lachish came up on it, it's an it's a site with an Egyptian presence. It's not an <laughs> Egyptian administrative center, which is kind of interesting because there is this there are you know there's egyptian material there there's all of these inscribed artifacts so it seems like it had some kind of a egyptian presence or egyptian in, uh, influence even though it wasn't an administrative center um obviously the administrative center is the near one is gaza yeah um, so it does it is an unusual site it is an unusual site, certainly by the Iron Age. It's a very unusual site. Um, and we have to say that it, it's it's a site that has had the hell dug out of it mm -hmm. over <laughs> the last 100 years with increasingly more sophisticated means. Yeah. Uh, <clears throat> so, you know, and again, we, we doff our bowler hats and... <laughs> And other <laughs> and our ivory studded cane right. <laughs> to to the okay. excavators who really who really do a great job. Um, yes. Yeah. Um. Yeah. Absolutely. But but so so here's another thought that um. So by the Iron Age, by the time this is thrown into this pit, um. Okay. It's it is at Lachish to be thrown into the pit, but we don't actually know where this thing was made. It doesn't have to thousand years before have well, come. Sure. Lachish, right. So. That's true. Yeah. I think it's mm -hmm. worth saying. That's why I said it. Yeah. Well, <laughs> no, absolutely. And, you know, we don't know where the the elephant ivory came from, and we don't know any of that kind of stuff. Right. Um, um, so and do why you do you save... Sorry. Oops, I'm sorry. Well, I was going to say, why do you save something for a thousand years and then throw it away? That's the really interesting thing. And that gets back to this whole issue of curatorship. Mm -hmm. So, you know, in, in the case of Tel Halif, why was this figurine that was manufactured in the calcolithic cur curated <laughs> for some 4,000 years until it right. showed up in an iron, iron age uh, context, iron age two context. In this case, it's not thousands of years. It's a thousand years. And right. that's a really interesting phenomenon. I mean, it's one thing to pass down a, um, you know, a, uh, what, what, what was it in your case? Uh, a shaving brush. Right. you know, from father to son, it's another thing to hang on to something for a thousand years. Right. Um, and, and that's, yeah, that's, uh, well, obviously we don't know anything about the chain of the chain of transmission, <laughs> but that's, but that's an interesting question though. No, no, well, I mean, the, the, this, these kinds of chain of custody issues. Well, are, I mean, well, we're never going to know chain of custody issues. <laughs> no, but no, but that's, that's not, that's not true because oh, if you, on. No, if, because if you go to, let's say, Assyria and you look in Assyrian palaces, yes, they're yeah. conserving particular kinds of objects, right? especially but, written things for mm -hmm. immensely yes, long step, periods of time. Step back from that statement. We're not in Assyria. We don't have <laughs> temple institutions that lit, that are, you know, around for thousands of years. And right. we don't have a, 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 a tradition of history writing and history keeping that is found in the Southern Levant. So, I mean, there's no reason to, you know, for the Southern Levant, we simply don't have that kind of information. Right. And besides, we also don't know. So are you thinking about like Ashurbanipal's library? Is that what you're thinking of? Because, you know, we don't have a direct chain of transmission. We can tell from style and epigraphy on those tablets, right? And and it, when they were originally written, but uh, we're, we don't have a direct chain of custody then. Right. So, so I, I, I had a, I had a point, but you guys have just, with your negativity, have just oh, blasted it, it out point. of my head. It was a um, good, I'm sure. 
Um, I don't know. Maybe it was nice. Why do you, why did people uh, collect shark's teeth <laughs> to end okay. up in a, in a, in, you know, a, a house in Jerusalem? Right. Um, well, right. These are all right. These are big questions. Exactly. These, you know, that this thing was at least functional. But a lice comb? I mean, come on. That's not what I would want. So, so I it's have, a little gross. Well, exactly. <laughs> um, I have, you know, my father held on to his either Uncle Will or Uncle Ben's watch, which I still have, but it's not inscribed. But, you know, that's that's like a nice watch, right? A pocket watch. Um, so what that's different than a lice comb. What? <laughs> They didn't have watches then. <laughs> <laughs> they had a much more limited range of, of. The best I can do for you is this lice comb. <laughs> exactly. I can understand a hair comb, a really nice from from a lady's, uh, you know, toilet kit or something. But I don't understand a lice. Something comb. like something you would use cruising up and down the Nile, say. <laughs> <laughs> well, let's say. Well, one thing is kind of also interesting about these lice combs is that they were all dual purpose, right? They had one side for hair and one side for lice. It's like a floby. So, right. <laughs> <laughs> so, oh boy, you're really trotting it out today. So, you know, that's one element. Um, that, no, that's an interesting point. That's right. They are all double-sided. And, right. and, and so, okay, but that's actually an interesting interpretation. That's not, you know, one side for hair, one side for us. It could just be some people have thinner hair, finer hair, and other people- well, have Right, and that's exactly that. Could have been it, except they found these. You know, they found lice in it. Right. <laughs> so there's that. But you know what? Any wouldn't any comb have lice in it? Because you're combing your hair, and if you have lice, then any comb would have lice. Yeah, no, but, I'm Of course, we know what's going to happen next. Every single bone comb is going to be examined for lice. Right. And I'm already thinking, oh, now I've got to go go to Beit Shemesh and dig out these bone combs and have them examined for lice, because that's the next step. Right. And until what will that really show? It it won't show that they're all lice combs. It'll show that everybody had lice, or both. both. Couldn't couldn't we? Didn't we know that really? Couldn't we? Right, but but at a certain point, it's always good to demonstrate that this is actually that our assumptions are actually grounded in in a reality. Okay. (laughs) I think what's more likely, or as likely, is that everybody's going to be digging out their combs and other ivory and bone objects and looking the, at them under a microscope for various inscriptions. Right. But that's, <clears throat> right. And you know, that's this is this, this is the spatula uh, that I make pancakes with. <laughs> um, may, may the gods make my pancakes flip naturally. Um, yeah. Kind of a thing. Um, you, really, so- you really stretched it with pancakes. <laughs> <laughs> what well, we, to prove that they didn't have pancakes. <laughs> there you go. Um, can I? Can we talk about this pitch for another minute? Um, because I don't know about any anything else specifically. I know there were whole vessels that were found there, um, or at least reconstructable vessels that were found in the pit. But um, I would like to know what else was in the pit. And I don't know. Do you? <laughs> the amount of stuff that I don't know. Well, I mean, I think, you know, are we throwing away a bunch of luxury items? Are we throwing away items associated with, I don't know, palaces, temples? I don't think a lice comb would be in a temple. I don't know. Um, could be. Why not? Could be. I mean, it could be a whole thing about, you know, make sure you don't enter the temple if you have lice. Right. You know, you don't, you don't want to get lice on all the flax and linen. <laughs> Oh, oh, uh, you know, I'm I'm the one well, who's uh, stretching out today. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, or maybe it's just gotten so gross and old and broken that you're just throwing it away. Right. So, A thousand years later. Or, right. or may, maybe some sort of, you know, th- there's some kind of major demographic change and barbering and and uh, and hygiene trends suddenly shifted and bone comb, ivory combs were 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 passe or they were declared unclean i don't know it's all sorts of yeah. <laughs> ludicrous scenarios that we can I, mean, I, I do where they switched to wood yeah maybe right. it's sustainable it's sustainable it's more easily replaceable <laughs> has anyone seen an elephant in the last 600 years <laughs> that's and that's why this comb was even more valuable yeah that's good. Do you think that they that's an interesting question. Do you think they they knew the value of the material? 
for sure they knew the value of the material. A thousand years later. For sure they knew the value of the material, but I'm not sure that a that's- A thousand years it. later? You think that Ivory that- is, This comes back to what we were saying before. Ivory is a luxury- yeah, but it's it can be very difficult to tell ivory from bone in the first place. Yeah. Okay. And right. As I recall, you have to tap okay. it on your teeth to there's a specific kind of resonance that it, one has over the other. And I don't I don't think we're going to get any further in in determining how or why this thing was disposed of until until they, you know, publish the entire contents of the of the pit. Right. right. What are they well, covering up? I'm curious right. about that. Well, I've got a question for you about the inscription. Okay. If I were if I were writing this inscription, I might have said, may this comb root out as opposed mm -hmm. to may this tusk root out. Right. That's an interesting, that's a really interesting point. I would have gone for the object and its function rather than the material. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Well that's that's, that's yeah. I mean, and does that speak to um the value of the object, right? The, there you go. The, or are they the, just big Fleetwood Mac fans? <laughs> I knew I was going to get that in. Yeah, there. it was never that was never my favorite album though. So it's a good album. If you watch the Americans, there's a an epic scene to the backdrop of the song Tusk. Mm. We'll take a little musical interlude now. <laughs> I'm telling you, we should do videos of this. Um, well, um, that's a very good point. I'm also fascinated in a, and yet perplexed that it has um, all these, all these extra letters that yeah. uh, were kind of experimental letters. Yeah, like it's a sin. Really caught on, and they, they just didn't really catch on. But then, then they were found in South Arabia, where they did catch on. Right, and right. Just and showing that the alphabet is a very flexible, it's a very flexible item. Yeah. And the word the word for tusk also is apparently something that was unattested, but they found it in rabbinic Hebrew, which has roots in West Semitic um, or preserves, I should say, anyway, um, West Semitic roots. So that is, you know, not not a word they were expecting, perhaps. Anyway. Yeah, there's a whole there's a whole thing about the transmission of the alphabet and the and the linguistics here that. I think above all that we are most qualified to discuss. <laughs> <laughs> above all qualified, I mean least qualified. Right, <laughs> that's what I. That's what I. And was what about the what about the workmanship? Somebody being able to um, transcribe one to three millimeter size letters. Yeah, that's another good point. Without, I mean, it's not like they're wearing spectacles. <laughs> no, I, it, but you know the whole the whole uh, tradition of seal cutting, right? Which True. is True. which is obviously sort of kind of small arts related, and the the teeny tiny arts. Yeah, um, I mean that's that's something I guess we've never really spoken about. Is maybe this was just what super duper nearsighted people <laughs> were, <laughs> were, were were sent to do, you know. Um, <laughs> In yeah. by their by their high school guidance counselors, <laughs> we were good for something in antiquity. That's exactly. right, right. That and just pulling the pulling the plow. <laughs> you don't have to see where you're going so well, right, Grandpa? When you're done with the inscription, go back to pulling the plow. Right, right. Yeah, and but the idea that they had teeny tiny tools, and that the teeny tiny tool wielder was the person who could who also was at least familiar enough with the shapes of the letters and possibly even the, the idea or the content of the inscription is, is very interesting. And it doesn't, it suggests that it wasn't a one-off that, uh, you know, this, it's not something that somebody had done once, but. What makes you say that? Well, because there is there's a consistency and a proficiency to the inscription itself, as okay. as okay. fine and and light as it is. Though it's interesting because there was that degree of proficiency, but they clearly didn't have a great sense of space because they had to they had to <laughs> add a letter to its own its own line. So they sort of messed well, that, that up. That's right. the nearsightedness speaking, I think. 
No, that's a that's a good point. Was this not well thought out, or did they not? Or well, they it... clearly didn't have like a grid or anything to right. help right. size the letters and figure out the size of the inscription. Um, but you know that that bothers me now that you're saying this because. <laughs> Because, you know, if, if we're going with, which I am, this whole elite ivory luxury object, don't you want to be a little bit more careful of how you write on it? Well, that speaks to the in- issue of craftsmanship is, is where are they with all of these things? They're good at some stuff and other stuff. They have no sense of space and what's going on. Why yeah. Why are there these inconsistencies? Uh, is this question. something that's totally new? Is this somebody who is applying a craft usually reserved for larger, flatter surfaces. And this is the first time they're trying it on a comb. <laughs> right. Yeah, a lot of those kinds of issues. And, and it's especially interesting because the, the comb itself is really well-made and you have to get those little tiny teeth. That's that's right. skillful. Right. Is it the same person who's executing the inscription as is making the comb? No. 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 <laughs> that's easy. Why? Why? Because one, it, it's two separate skills. Um, yeah. Yeah. End of story. <laughs> yeah, no, that's a little bit uh, ex cathedra. Right? <laughs> well, do you think that the person who made that razor that you so cherish is the same person who inscribed it? No. No, but I, but I think that you, ah. you you could argue that you have a very well executed object and a ah. and a not terrifically but competently executed inscription oh that's interesting and it's the same it's the same person who's doing it they're just good at one thing but they're not so <laughs> great at the other thing that's actually to, really interesting to add right. this inscription you mucked up the whole thing right, right. It was this beautiful thing and now you ruined it right but it's almost christmas i'm just going to take it i don't have time for another one because it took you like three weeks to carve those little tines of the right. of the comb i bet that that's an easy it, that's I bet that's easier to do than we think it is. What carving? carving? Yeah, I think that they. Yeah, I think that okay. there must be some kind of fine saw that they would just saw sleep. with. Yeah. <laughs> okay. I mean, that's not a... that it was easy. Not that I could do it in a million <laughs> years. I'm not saying anything like that. I'm I'd just like saying I think those kinds of you know these kinds of quotidian objects had a inner logic that these people could churn them out right and you could probably look at it under you know an electron microscope and and figure out what sort of what sort of tool was used to make the thing right um and there's a lot of there's a lot of research about you know tools particularly for seal cutting and other fine engraving things yeah. But I, I, you know, again, how many of these things, how many of these things are there? There are a bunch. There are a bunch. Um, well, there are four combs at Lachish. Right. Which puts it once again <laughs> into our the home. lead. <laughs> right. Far into the lead of any other site in the Southern Levant. <laughs> right. And again, that, you know, pace intensity and scale. And in all of these ways, we're talking about a small scale society. You right. know, I sure. mean, when four combs leads the leads the entire Bronze Age comb. <laughs> All right. So I want to change the conversation to something we started talking about before we started recording, which is <laughs> why the do you think dress in Egypt? <laughs> <laughs> that too. <laughs> uh, but I think Alex has kind of hinted around that a little bit. Um, why do we think this this comb, this inscription, this first sentence in full full sentence in Canaanite is getting so much attention? Uh, I wrote that down too. Yeah. Because so. stuff from the Holy Land gets attention because it's a it's a, a whole sentence written in Canaanite. And it has all of these kinds of biblical associations. In fact, I think that the article uh, a scientific article on this object starts with a, a quotation from what the Hebrew Bible, right? I think it was from the Talmud, but yeah. Oh, from the Talmud? Was it from the Talmud? I think it was from the Talmud. It might have. It might have been. Yeah. But you know, it's that's just the la- the kind of the the social landscape of the archaeology in, in you know in every particular part of the world has its own sort of social context. Right. I, I also think that that there's a premium attached to the earliest of things mm-hmm. 
that the earliest complete sentence is um or the earliest you know shark teeth found in a context or the earliest whatever um that always attracts people's attention right first um, biggest earliest latest yeah right right um, right i think it's also the the you know just the quotidian nature it's something we can all relate to we all comb our hair um all of our kids have had lice etc well not all of them well, not somebody all. <laughs> somebody's hasn't and not all of us comb our hair <laughs> <laughs> i just tussle these days yeah um i just, I just look for, for <laughs> there yeah well i guess maybe there maybe there is something to that because it's it, there's a kind of weirdly um presentism no personalist humanizing humanizing kind of dimension to it like you know we've all we've all got hair or we all had hair right and it, it, it's something that collapses the distance between us and them nicely right. put we, we don't we don't project ourselves necessarily like yeah they they had these kinds of issues and th- concerns they put on and, their pants one leg at a time <laughs> right it's the one leg at a time syndrome they have pants <laughs> they put on their kilts one leg at a time kilts. but one of the scholars made the good point that um that this is a uh, a very secular sentence mm. in a world which was very very in mm. theory uh yeah. driven by religion and and this scholar also made the note also noted that there were no uh, atheists in the Bronze and Iron Age. And, mm-hmm. and about that, I'm not so sure. I think that's a uh, that's a huge assumption. I'd like to believe that there were always people who stood out and right. questioned things and maybe didn't believe that there were that there were all of these gods running things. But right. that's neither here nor there. It is an, in, in a part of the world in which a lot of our inscriptional material has a religious element to it, this is a very, very secular statement. And right. I think- for for a quotidian object, right? Um, yeah, that's that's true, and it you know it's relatable. It's relatable, mm-hmm. yeah. Um, and you know, I think about things like, you know, people get very excited about, let's say, um, Egyptian women wearing eye makeup or makeup generally, um, <clears throat> because it's somehow it's somehow relatable. Yeah. Right. And there, there's a variety of these relatable topics as opposed to, I don't know, the geomorphology of a floodplain, which is not, <laughs> not, <Good example. laughs> not, not so relatable necessarily unless there's, unless you're being flooded or something. Well, yeah. but, well, I was going to say it's becoming more, much more relatable right. Uh, right. In, in a variety of ways, but it's, it's less accessible because it's, it is not something that we, well, it's you not personal. It's not personal necessarily, right. and yeah. and something that we are kind of consumed with on a daily basis: wearing jewelry, wearing makeup, combing our hair, putting um, on pants, putting on kilts, right. two legs at a time. Right. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Um, well, I guess we've solved that. <laughs> <laughs> final final words. Um. Uh. Yeah, but an exciting find that uh, has a lot of people all abuzz, scratching themselves with glee. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's the best way to scratch yourself, frankly. <laughs> and uh, yeah, yeah, they um, were just like us. They were just like us. Yeah. Um, I don't think I can add anything to that. Um, I, I like. I very much do like the idea. I always like the idea of of heirlooms. Um, because that's also kind of relatable. Yeah, that's true. But when when do heirlooms um, lose their lose their uh, lose their air their air? Yeah. Well, <laughs> apparently, when you decide they're too gross and broken, so you may as well throw them in a pit. Thousand how years. Many, <laughs> how many of us have, let's say, crates full of children's toys and schoolwork wow. and artwork uh, that? that we keep around for forever and ever or, you know, family letters or, or other things when, but when do you say enough? One generation, two generations. Um, or you thousands. have to start buying, um, uh, you know, locker, you know, uh, storage unit, storage, storage units. Yeah. Yeah. 
Um, and or, you know, some some people's papers end up in archives and in libraries and uh, <laughs> get <laughs> get saved for multiple generations, although right. eventually that'll stop, too. Right. Um, yeah. Um, if, right. I, if there's only some place I could donate my <laughs> my heirlooms to, that would be the least bit interested, as opposed to the Salvation Army. Where well, it gets recycled. Right. Well, right. absolutely. Right. All right. <laughs> yeah, I'm pondering now. Maybe that's maybe that's a good place to stop before we start the results of the pondering. I think it's a fine place to stop. Very good. Okay. 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 Hang on, hang on. Alex, are you going to wait, wait, wait. I have to turn this off. Oh no, no, no. <laughs> Don't we have last thoughts? Yeah. Oh, no, I thought Didn't we say last thoughts? thoughts? Oh, we yeah. did. Oh, did you have any last thoughts? <laughs> no, I missed the last thoughts. Oh, oh. we'll give a last thought. Right. Uh, uh, you can have the last word. No. Uh, the last word? The last word is beard. Beard. <laughs> okay. Well, that's. Yes, oh, and this would have been a great episode to use the word rebarberative. <laughs> that's a good last I'll, word. I'll write that, I'll write that down. <laughs> Okay. 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 Well, this episode has me scratching all over like a mangy dog. So before I run off to douse myself in extra strong and possibly toxic shampoo, we'd like to thank Erez Dessel, Community Engagement Coordinator for the Chicago Philharmonic, for our theme music. We'd also like to thank our sponsor, Dr. Scott's Electric Hairbrushes of New York City, every tooth perfect and guaranteed unbreakable. And so, to get in touch, leave us a comment or send us an email at thisweekintheancientneareast, it's all one word, as you know, at gmail.com or send us a postcard at P.O. Box 1177, Boston, Mass., 02134.